Thank you for listening to Bakersfield Observe, the podcast with Richard Bean. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Centric Healthcare and Premier Lighting. Welcome to Bakersfield Observe with Richard Bean, a podcast for and about Bakersfield and Kern County. Richard's guests are newsmakers, influencers, and personalities who address topics of interest to you and your neighbors and your community. The discussion is fast, informative, and always civil. Now, here's your host, Richard Bean. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of the new Bakersfield Observe podcast, recorded right here at American General Media offices off California Avenue and Highway 99. I'm here with Mr. J.R. Flores, who is our producer here. This podcast airs weekly, and it will complement the work of the Bakersfield Observed blog. You can access the podcast via Spotify, Kern Radio, or wherever you access your podcast. Remember, our idea here was simple. We just want to provide a forum for the Bakersfield community to gather to discuss some of the issues that confront us. And today we're talking, we're going to turn our attention to the homelessness issue. It's a condition that Bakersfield has struggled with for several years now. JR and I have been talking about this for at least three years. And we're fortunate to have two of the most knowledgeable experts on homelessness in town. I want to welcome to the studio Mr. Jim Wheeler of Flood Ministries and Carlos Baldovinos of the Mission of Kern County. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for having us, Richard. Carlos? Thank you, Richard. And congratulations on your 14th episode. Well, thank you, sir. You still got a long ways to go to the Sammy Hour. I'm catching up with the Sammy Hour. You know, your son, who is now, by the way, congratulations to you. you. He's a freshman down at Vanguard University. You got him all ensconced in in the, uh, the dorm. He's all set to go. All ready to go. And actually, Richard, he actually, we've been talking over this past weekend that the university does not have a podcast. So he's trying to talk to the powers that be to develop one. Oh, that's perfect. And I, I Right up it. his alley, you know. Yeah. Well done, Sammy. I was a guest on Sammy's. Uh, I know you were. Kevin McCarthy's <laughs> had some real stars on there. Congratulations. Some, but you know what? I'll tell you something, Richard. I had nothing to do with a lot of that stuff. I mean, all of it. Nice. I mean, he's done He's done his own research. He drives he's, it. Yeah, yeah, he's driving it, which I'm, I'm proud of. Proud well, you of should be that. a good so. boy. Jim, welcome back. Good day. You're battling a cold, I hear. Yeah. Well, yeah, sinus infection just with allergies. Um, I get something every year because of the almond trees shaking and then the smoke this year. It's been pretty miserable, but yeah. I wouldn't miss this for the world. So Good. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I, and, and a sincere thanks to both of you on behalf of JR and I, because both of you have been regulars on the, uh, the Richard Bean Show, the radio show while it was going. You guys have made yourselves accessible to the local media whenever we need it because this, this is a hot topic, it's, and it has been a hot topic, and the reason it's still around is because it's a very, very difficult thing we're confronting throughout the state. It is worth mentioning that we talked about it a little bit earlier that Bakersfield's not alone in this. You were just down in Orange County and saw the same thing, so these issues are front and center. I want to start off by saying here we are. Mr. Flores and I have been talking about this for going on three years, and I got to tell you guys, I'm I I look at this and I'm thinking about having you guys in, and I think I might keep up with this maybe a little bit more than the average person, not like you guys who are part of the homeless collaborative and and are on the ground so to speak, but I'm looking at this going, I don't know where we are. I don't. It is hard for me, as just an observer, to know. What does success look like? I know we've thrown a lot of money in this community. That the county has built a state-of-the-art navigation center. The city has. I know the work that you've done over at the Mission Carlos and the expansion that you've had. I know the homeless shelter has had an expansion. Jim at Flood Ministries, you guys are at the tip of the spirits. You're people who are out there. We've been at this for a while, and I do understand and. I'm going to be the voice that you guys need to uh, to calm down here because in some way I, maybe I represent the people who don't understand all the work that's going on. But here we are a few years into it, and I look like I look outside and I go, "Have we made any progress here?" In fact, the city council 
addressed it last night. Let's start with you, Jim. You guys, your people. Can we can we start with you, Jim? For people who don't maybe just tune in, talk to me about Flood Ministries' role in this and the way that your people are the 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 most important. Sometimes the first point of contact with some of these people, and then we'll Carlos will go to you to talk about your role. Yeah, yeah. So. Um... I don't know that we're, we're the most important, but we are on the front lines. And so we're usually the first contact that um, that our homeless service provider system has with somebody who's unsheltered and on the street. And so we're out. Uh, we have teams. We have, uh, we have, we've been blessed with contracts from Kern VHRS and the city. And we have some other funding for street outreach that we're able to utilize. And we have, I think right now, about 12 teams that are out. But remember, we cover all 8,200 square miles of Kern County, so not all of them are in Metro Bakersfield. But, but our goal is to go out and to engage with people, to build rapport uh, with them, and so that we can get an honest assessment of what their circumstances are, what their needs are, why, why they're homeless, do they have behavioral health needs, mental health issues, substance use issues. Uh, and then we try to develop a plan that will help that individual get off the street. Sometimes it's just as simple as, let yes, I want to go to the shelter, so we take them to the shelter, and then we work with the shelter provider like the Mission or the Homeless Center or Mercy House or CAPK uh, to try to move that individual from now in a place of uh, stability in the shelter uh, to a place where they can um, get into a stable housing situation, which is long-term, and so they're no longer on the street. Now, there's a lot of stuff that happens in between that process, mm-hmm. but basically, if you want to, um, to bring that down to just the simplest possible terms, it's engaging people, it's helping them to get off the street and get into stable housing. And there's, like I said, a lot of stuff in between uh, that goes on. So that's what we do. You know, I think we're, we're a critical part of the process. Um, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, <clears throat> talked about it, it doesn't seem like a lot of stuff is happening. And so I, the way... I think it's really important for people to see that two years ago, maybe three years ago, when this crisis really started becoming public here in Kern County, and, and by the way, you know, 25% of people who are homeless in the United States are in the state of California, and 50%— That's always an amazing yeah, figure to and me. And 50% of unsheltered people are in the state of California. So it's not just—you know, we, we don't live in a bubble here, right? We are—we— we, we experience what everybody else is experiencing in the in the state, and so one of the things I think that people um, don't see is all the infrastructure and all the services that are have been developed in the last three years. Now, a lot of people will say, "Well, you're know, throwing money at it," but we we had we ha- we lack services. You know, we lack the a, a navigation center or shelter that would allow couples to stay together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and for for liability reasons, I'll let Carlos address this, but, you know, neither the homeless center or the mission could take pets, right? And so mm-hmm. we had to develop, we had to develop something where people with pets, uh, it's estimated that 20, 25% of people on the street have a pet, right? And so there's there are some things that needed to, to be developed that way. Um, the, the mission and the homeless center, you know, they were at capacity often, mm-hmm. right? And so we we're able to expand the beds that they had. And then in addition to that, mental health uh, or behavioral health, they they needed to, you know, one of the issues that we identified early on was that there are folks that we don't have a proper place for them to go. We don't have proper services because they have severe mental health issues mm-hmm. or severe substance use issues. And so uh, thankful, thankfully, Stacy Kuhara and people at, and Allison and Burroughs and others at uh, behavioral health identified that there was a extra level of outreach and engagement that needed to happen. So they've created the Rome teams. The Rome teams are, you know, relational outreach engagement model. Um, they have a psychiatrist that's embedded with them. And so when we're out on the street and we're working with people and obviously they have a, they have a severe mental health issue, um, we can call the Rome team and they'll come out with their psychiatrist and they have some tools in their belt that we don't have. Like they're able to, um, put somebody into a guardianship, or they're able to place somebody. They can actually put somebody they if they deem them to be yes. a danger to themselves. We have or? several people now who are that were the, some of the people that if I told you describe them to you, you would know who they were down yeah. in downtown Bakersfield. They're under they're under um, they're under a guardianship program right now, and that 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 if 
that forces that individual to mm. get the help that they need. And so I'm just saying, uh, I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but I'm just saying that um, part, you know, it's like the Titanic, right? You just don't turn the Titanic. You just don't go and do a quick U-turn. It takes a while to turn the boat around, right? And so all of that has been happening in the last years while we are still working successfully to get people off the street. Uh, and, um, and I think that, you know, the issue has been the article. I think that, um, I think the point that Anna was trying to make in the Bakersfield, California article today is that we've had, um, and we've had a lot of outflow, but because of the COVID and because of the, the crisis statewide in homelessness, we've had more people coming into the system that we, that we've been, than what we've been able to get people to go out of the system. And so that, so that's why I think also it seems like we're not making progress, mm -hmm. but Richard, we have right now uh, almost 300 people, maybe even more, uh, probably closer to 400 people that are off the street right now because of the stuff that we've implemented uh, and, and the infrastructure that we've implemented than the, at this time last year. But more are coming in. But, there, but right now, I think that we have um, our, you know, that's what the first time homeless uh, measurement that she mentioned in the paper that's right. that's what that's indicating we have more people who are entering into homelessness for the first time than we have people exiting homelessness and once we get to that equilibrium and then that starts to reverse i think that that's when people will start to really see progress Excellent. visibly progress good, good. Visible thank you progress. jim let's go to carlos carlos can can you talk to us a little bit about the, the mission of the mission how that is different as jim said than the gavi than the neg uh, the navigation centers and, sure. and and how the opening of the city and the county centers have affected you if they have I mean, did you see any kind of any any decrease or increase in the level of uh, right activity at your place so you know the mission has been around since 1952 actually we're gonna we're actually next year we're into our 70th 70th year so I mean, we you know we are stable in this community stable in this community regarding homelessness in the last several years, we've added recovery programs, what we call discipleship programs for both men and women. In the last three years, we've added um, a component for women that are battling addictions to bring their kids in with them to go through this program. So we have a facility off-site that deals specifically with that population. Um, we, in the next six weeks, we're actually opening up a transitional housing facility up in Oildale for women that have graduated that program with their kids for the next phase, yeah. right? <clears throat> so we're, as an organization, we're looking, how do we move people forward instead of keeping them homeless? Because I'll be honest with you, th this whole situation with homelessness, as Jim explained it, um, California holds 25% of the homeless population in the country. That's quite a bit when you That's start stunning. looking, yeah. when we're looking at the numbers. And, you know, so for me, I'd rather be out of a job than keep doing, yeah. keep doing, you know, this level of, of working with the homeless and that it just seems like it never ends. Yeah. Right. So for us, we want to get them to a path, you know, of recovery. How do they get back on their feet? But there's some popul some of that population, Richard, is, as Jim mentioned, you know, you're dealing with some mental illness in there. You're dealing with some strong substance abuse that a lot of these folks, um, have been dealing with that quite honestly a lot of times in the community we haven't really dealt with it until recently to the level of these Rome teams that Jim referred to which I right now I believe it's under pilot program mm -hmm. I mean am I right on that so that still, is, they are two pilot programs. so they're so it's pilot program so it's fairly new mm -hmm. I do believe from the the reports that I'm hearing that it's working it's working so I really believe that this is going to be something that we can count on as we deal with the mental illness out there, because a lot of the folks are out there are are dealing with either and substance or mental illness. Hasn't that been one of the one of the? <coughs> I apologize for interrupting you, yeah. Carlos, but hasn't that been one of the frustrations that people see? And I'll see these people on the street and go, they're, they're crazy. They need help. They need help more than a dollar I can give them or whatever. That somehow that this is a case that I'm looking at these people going. Housing is not the issue. There's a mental. There, there's another issue. Maybe housing later, but you got to get people stable first. Right. right. You have to stable. It's a process, right? I, I think the public doesn't under. And I think it's it's about awareness and education regarding these issues. I think the public just sees like, for example, just I was in the Southwest a couple of weeks back, and I was called to help a specific individual 
Um, once we went out there and started talking to them, this individual you could tell had strong, some very strong mental illness. They were dealing with substance abuse. Um, they said they wanted to get help and off the streets, but at the end of the day, they chose not to. Again, they have a choice not to not to mm-hmm. take you up on it, right? That you know, for us, it made me it actually made, made me very frustrated, just because you know you're, you're seeing this. They need to help, but at the at the end of the day, they have a choice yeah. to to not take you up on it, and that's yeah. where. I think the public needs to understand, you know, that, yeah, they do have a choice. And also, too, that there's, some men- there's mental illness, there's substance abuse. It's, it's a myriad of things. Yeah. It's not just one thing. It's not your typical person just sitting on the corner panhandling saying, give me food or give me another dollar. It's much more different than what you're used to seeing in the last, you know, 10, 15 years in California. I think even throughout the country that, I mean, is it easy for me to say have some patience? Yeah, I mean, I could say that, but I think people are running out of patience, yeah. you know, because they're seeing the dollars are being spent with the navigation centers and others. How, as an organization, we're different than the navigation centers is because we, we deal specifically with, um, you know, homeless men. Mm-hmm. We have the recovery component. You know, we have the job training. We're working with people to get them. If they don't have a GED, let's get them, help them get a GED if they choose to. Let's get them into, into some sort of job training. We have a, a relationship with Bakersfield College. Um, it's called um, uh, Through CityServe, the cohort, mm-hmm. that we get people you know, into a track of employment and job training. So I think all of those things are, are much different. It separates us, I, I, I believe, from, um, from navigation. So navigation centers, some of them, I mean, they have they deal with the pets as a liability you issue. You guys can't take that. We Why can't, can't you guys take that? Well, I mean, Why I look it? at it from you have... From, as an organization, you know, a dog, let's say, let's say a pit bull, bites another person. Yeah. You tell me. I mean, the liability lies on the organization. Yeah. You know, and we work through all that. Um, you know, trying to see if there was any round. You know, any any loopholes that we could work through through our insurance company. Our insurance company said, you know what, you could get insurance, but it's, it's going to cost you a lot of money to do yeah. this, and we advise you not to. Yeah, and and um, you know. I think, and I don't want to make the mission or the homeless center look bad because, um, you know, I don't, I'm not aware of any, and I, of course I don't know everything, but I'm not aware of very many anyway, let me rephrase that, uh, nonprofits that, that run shelters that take pets just because of that issue. Yeah. It makes sense for the county and the city run uh, shelters because of the liability issue. They can, they can self-insure right. against that. We have several people on our staff that um, came through the mission program and they've been great employees. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Carlos mentioned all those things that they've, that they've developed in the last couple of years. That goes back to my issue, my uh, point of, you know, we're, we're getting stuff built up and I love the mission and what they do because th- I believe pers- this is my personal opinion that we're body, soul and spirit, right? And that we can meet man's physical needs, we can meet man's emotional needs, but we also need to meet people's spiritual needs. And that's one thing I love about the mission is that, that that's what they do. They help they help change the person holistically. And I think that that's, when that happens, they're more successful mm-hmm. because they're addressing the whole person. And, and our system uh, tries to do that, but I think sometimes we're missing that, that little spiritual element, which I think helps to ensure longer-term investment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and i just wanted to if richard go back to the, your point about the, the housing and the mental illness <clears throat> so you know we believe it was housing first right the point is to get people off the street as soon as possible into the safe into a stable housing situation and then we're able to provide those services so you know one of the things that flood does is we have uh, 12 case housing case managers where we work with the housing authority and other service providers. Once somebody's in housing, we provide supportive services. So we're checking on them every, you know, every on a regular basis. We're making sure they know how to manage their money. We're making sure they're they're paying their PG&E bill. We're making sure they're getting to their 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 um, appointments with the doctor or their, or their counselor. And so we're providing those supportive services all along, so that. We're not just putting somebody in. It's not just housing only, but it's housing with supportive services, with wraparound services provided. And that's why we've been very successful, not only at Flood, but as a, as a whole, our continuum of care, our homeless collaborative, we have over a 90, 90% retention rate. So people who get housed, and they not over 90% of those people stay in the housing because we provide such a good uh, 
uh, foundation of supportive services for those folks. Yeah, that's complicated. And it looks, I, I, I can't imagine what that looks like if you take somebody with severe, say, mental health problems, maybe throw in some drug addiction, and then you put them in housing. And what those, what that wraparound, that life with wraparound services looks like as you try to stabilize somebody and get them in a stable situation. Well, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's holding people accountable. Right. I mean, again, people, even people are placed in housing, they have a right to self-determination um, and they, I guess, technically could say no to the services, but that very rarely happens. Once people get in housing and they get they start to feel feel secure, they're much more willing to accept uh, additional help. And uh, and frankly, you know, our, our case managers, um, many of them have been homeless themselves, so they know how to talk to people. They know how to hold them accountable. They know the issues that they're dealing with. And so. Um, and we've been very successful with that. You know, the Homeless co- uh, Collaborative, I'm going to keep it with you, Jim Wheeler, uh, at the city council last night was talking about the increase on the uh, the number of people experiencing homelessness for the first time. They said an increase from 445 in the first three months of, of this year to 805 in the subsequent three months. Now, I know numbers sometimes get a little squishy about how we're counting and all that. But that's, how do you explain that? I guess when we, and and does this tie into my concern about is part of your job or the county or the city's job is to manage public expectations about, we've been in this fight for a while, that's how I opened this this, this program, like why, why don't we see more progress? But you have all of these people coming into the system. Can you tell me? I mean, without trying to, you know, I'm not asking you to boil the ocean on an answer, but what is causing so many of these people to come into the system? Well, um, I haven't seen all of the data. I, I, you know, one of the things that people don't realize is we collect lots of information. Flood, Flood has our own database, but we all participate in the mission of Flood. All of us participate in what's called the Homeless Management Information System, or HMIS. And so we collect data on all this, and that goes into what's called our system performance measures. And so HUD, because they send us millions of dollars every year, they're, they're holding us accountable by keeping track of our metrics. And so we keep track of length of time homeless, how long it takes someone when they first enter the homeless system until they get into a housing they no longer need the help. We keep track of that. That's length of homelessness. We keep track of um, how long people stay once they're housed. You know, we talked about the retention rate. Mm-hmm. And then one of the things we track uh, uh, um, is how many times or how many people are coming into the system for the first time. That's the number that's in the paper. Mm-hmm. And so I suspect, um, and again, it's, it's just my feeling based on our boots on the ground, mm-hmm. that um, a lot of those folks, I mean, you know, think about it. Uh, the, the, the governor, how many people has he released from prison um, this last year because of COVID? So, I mean, I think that that's impacting all communities in California. And I would suspect that a large number of those first-time homeless are people who were released from jail. Um, I don't think the state does a good job of, uh, of discharge planning, you know, making a plan for people and having a place for people to go. That's where you get the anecdotal thing. Well, somebody showed up at the Greyhound bus and they had $200 and they were sent here from somewhere else. Well, no, the prison the prison released them, CDC released them, and now they're now they have to find a place to go. So I, I suspect that's a large portion of that wow. uh, because of COVID and the economy. You know, I'm sure that there are there are you know families that have impact been impacted by that, and that's probably some of that as well. Uh, and and so it's you know it's it's difficult because it makes our we're working as hard as we can. You know, and sometimes it feels like we're spinning our wheels. Um, but you can't lose sight of the individual people, you know, that we've, that, that we've helped. And so mm-hmm. while, you know, there's more people coming mm-hmm. in, um, there are people going out. And, and, you know, that those are great success stories, and we don't want to lose sight of that. And right. see, that's where I, the public, you know, the media is not covering that. All these people are being released from jails, prison system, yeah. into homelessness. I mean, it started around COVID. Yeah. I mean, there was a little, there was a little bit of buzz about it. But there hasn't been lately, and I think that's where I think people forget, you know, that you have so many people coming into the, into the system, you know, and and it's and the, the thing about going back to going navigation centers and, and expansions and stuff that as you referred to early on in, in the in the conversation is shelter should never a homeless shelter should never be somebody's final destination. Hmm. I mean, I say that. I mean, imagine that living the rest of your life you're confined to a homeless shelter. 
I mean, Richard, I have people that, that are staying with us that are 80 years old, 82 years old. I have several of those. Wow. Imagine being at that age in a shelter. It should mm -hmm. never mm -hmm. be that somebody for the rest of their lives are confined to a shelter. I think we got to be more uh, aggressive. And I think, I believe the city and the county are trying to get some stuff moving regarding affordable housing through the housing authority. We need more of that. Yeah. Maybe perhaps more than just a housing authority to do more affordable housing. I mean, because you've expanded, you've done two navigation centers that cost you a lot of money, yeah. a lot of taxpayer dollars. You've added and a lot of operational expenses ongoing are, to keep them running. And, and it's not, and it's very expensive to run shelters, yeah. Richard. Very, very expensive. It's not a, it's not you can just make something work out and it's just going to happen overnight. I mean, there's a lot of resources that have to be put in. So you, you've invested into two shelters, right, or navigation centers. Then you've added 40 beds to the mission at Kern County. You've added an additional 40 some beds to the Bigster Homeless Center. You've added a lot into it. I, I am not a fan of adding more shelter beds. I do not agree with that. There has to be more putting in more dollars into your wraparound services, permanent supportive housing, affordable housing. We really have to put that in the forefront. Because imagine having your city, you know, a, in a city, you have all these shelter beds. If you start counting them up, you have all these shelter beds. Your numbers keep growing. There's got to be something we got to do different because you could add a million shelter beds and it's still is a problem going to be solved. Yeah. I mean, I'm putting a million a little exaggeration, sure. but let's add, let's see you add another two to three hundred beds. Hmm. Is that really going to solve the problem? I mean, I think that's a question we start at. What what are we doing? What are some things strategically that we can do the next three to five years to really get a handle on this? And it's moving people forward, Richard, not in the same spot right. in the shelter. When the public heard about the money that the city and the county was going to spend uh, not only like contracting with, with, with your people, Jim, but on the new navigation center. I think there was an, um, uh, an assumption among a lot of people, erroneous as it turns out, that there would be a cause and effect. That, okay, we're going to get all these things up, we're going to have all these beds, I'll see fewer people in the streets. That hasn't happened. How, what, what do you say to people like that who say, by gosh, we're throwing all this money into it, Jim, I'll go to you. But yeah, I don't see any difference on the street. Manage my expectations here. Well, let me, I would turn around to, to those folks to say that and say, well, how has this last year and a half impacted you and your family, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, think of all that's happened to, to our economy and to, um, to people's lives with, you know, who... Um, who were impacted by this COVID crisis. So I think it's a little unfair for us to judge based on that because I honestly believe, and, I, and, and I'm sincere about this, that if it wasn't for COVID, you would see an impact. You would, you would be seeing the difference in, in the numbers and the visibility okay. of people being, being homeless. And so um, I think it's, it's, you're going to have to be a little patient. Like I said, I mean, um, I know there's been thousands of people who've, who've been discharged from prisons into Kern County, uh, and I, 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 would like to, I would like to have some time to see how that works itself out. And mm -hmm. so um, I would say to be patient. Um, and, and, and again, you know, we've got a lot of stuff up and running with the new, the, the new programs that are coming online for, at the Mission and with the new Rome team at B, BHRS. Some of the most visible people that used to see downtown, they're, they're not down there anymore. Right. They're off the street. They're in a stable housing situation, um, and it's not the same for, you know, not this, that was not the same solution for everybody, mm -hmm. right? And so those things are just now starting to kick in. So give us some time. Let's get out of this pandemic, and let's, let's get back to normal life, as, whatever that's going to look yeah, like, right. you know? And then right. I think we can start judging whether... We have success. I, I agree. I, I want to agree and, and disagree with Carlos on something. So I agree with him. Shelter is not a destination. It should not be. The, and we and we should not be warehousing people in shelters. That's not the goal. Um, and the goal, like he said, is to move forward. We have a 1% vacancy rate in Kern County right now. And where are people going to go when... Is, when that, they, is that a rental vacancy yeah, rate? Yeah, well, that's an overall vacancy rate. Wow. What's going to happen when Never, the... When yeah. the um, <clears throat> When California lifts the eviction moratorium, right. Right. I mean that's another thing that we're trying to brace ourselves for because I think that's going to also 
um, impact our first-time homeless numbers as well because people are going to be out on the street. There are some resources that are coming down from the federal and state government, but you know that's that's something else that's going to inundate us. But if people want, if 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 their community does not want to see people on the street, if the community doesn't want to see the encampments, then there has to be a place for people to go. Mm-hmm. So where what are we going to do? In the in the short term, I think it would be wise for both the um, Brundage Lane Navigation Center and M Street Navigation Center to expand their capacity uh, for a short term, mm-hmm. you know, not not to get into a rut, uh, you know, or you know, just to get used to that, like Carlos, uh, who makes a valid point about that. But just to to do an immediate um, increase in capacity so that we can continue to work with people, because the thing is, once people are in a shelter, they're more likely to receive services. Not everybody's going to. Um, but they are more likely to receive services, I think. And so I think that I think we should prepare ourselves for it. just uh, even that came up, I think, last night, the, the council meeting. I talked to someone from the city this morning about it. And, you know, I think that uh, maybe it was Councilman Gray, Councilman Gray, who um, asked about increasing the capacity at Brundage Lane. And so I would fully anticipate that the city at some point is going to increase the capacity at the Brundage Lane Navigation Center, and I would expect the county to consider doing the same thing at the M Street. See, I, I, I've heard the same things in the last couple of days. <laughs> These are tax dollars. I'm not for that. Because what happens is you start doing these kind of things, you start putting more, putting this measure and money into that. Mm-hmm. When is enough? You just keep throwing money at the problem? Why? Give us a different set of solutions instead of adding more shelter beds that are cost. They're going to cost taxpayers. Let's keep in mind mm-hmm. taxpayer money. I mean, that's where Jim and I disagree on that. I mean, I agree mostly with what, what would he's your saying. solution be. Where would you put that? Let's money put instead? money into into affordable housing. Let's start building. Let's make it an incentive for contractors to build in California. Okay. Let's. Let's make it appealing to them to start building these units. Like you've seen Spokane, Washington. You drive up to, you fly up to Spokane, Washington, drive up there. You're seeing from Spokane, Washington, where it was three, five years ago, they have built a lot of affordable units mm. up there. Is it working? Do you, I, mean, I believe it's working. I'm, t- I'm talking to, to friends okay. on the ground right. that it's working. Now, some people aren't happy with it just because it's like you have, you know, that's a, there's that NIMBYism approach to it. Sure. But again, shelter bed should never be somebody's final destination. That's mm-hmm. one of the things that Jim and I agree. But I do believe you adding more beds, even for the short term, you're still committing financially to it. Right. I mean, and once you commit financial, financially to it, how do you get out of it? Right? Because right? you're in. Right. Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to wait? So the people that are on the street and in the encampments, are you willing to wait two or three years or four years for them to get in, leave them on the street while while we're getting our permanent housing built or would you uh, rather see them off the, them off street, the street last year right yeah, so that's yeah. my point is i um, i i agree in my heart i agree 100 percent with what carlos Car- carlos is saying in my mind i know that that's not going to make everybody happy and right. so to me the quickest solution is let's let's again reduce the visibility let's move people into into the sh- let's increase the the bed capacity and then Let's see what what happens with those folks. I mean, I look at my friends over at the Housing Authority, Stephen Peltz, kudos to him. I mean, he has turned some motels into housing fairly quick. Because, I mean, he ha- why don't we do that model? Okay. Instead of right. adding more shelter beds. Let's, let's, that's what I'm saying is let's throw the kitchen sink mm-hmm. at this thing even more so. Or even get other folks involved, you know, that are, that could do it or have the capacity to do it. Instead of just building, because what happens with shelter beds is this: people have, that have expectations, like yourself and many others, they're like, "Okay, how come they're not getting off the street?" Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, they want the problem to be done. You right. have a bed. A bed is the final solution, right? Right. Well, it's not. I mean, you got to look at everything around it. I would love to see those people, and I, I don't think it's a, a two to three to four year deal. Stephen did it pretty quick. I mean, he did it in like six months, I believe. Mm-hmm. Very, very quick turnaround. I believe if you get more people to do that, you could really start really making it. I mean, you are making a dent anyways already. Yeah. I mean, we really have. Right. But I do think you could do it a lot more instead of just adding more beds. I, I think we can do both. I guess that's the, yeah, that's the main both. difference. Um, and I, and I, do wanna, I do agree with Carlos that Project um, Home Key 
which the um, milestone and a couple other projects you wouldn't even know they were permanent supportive housing they were motel conversions i think it was the old tropicana that's right um uh, most people aren't even aware of it and it's a great program and i um and i want to see more of that those the the motel conversions that's a quick way to provide permanent housing to people off the street but there's a limited amount of funding for that so um you know i think that we need to do everything at once right we need to do some quick motel conversions to yeah. build up our housing inventory. We need to start putting together long-term projects, and we need to continue to help people get off the street. That's just my that's just my perspective. Right, Jim. You mentioned I didn't even really think about it uh, tying in the pandemic to to the conditions that we're oh, in yes. now, and right in front of me, and I didn't really connect the dots, but. When you consider that this, we may be going into, it looks like we are going into another wave. With you the are Delta. in it. You're in We're it in it. Yeah. I mean, anecdotally, <clears throat> I cannot tell you the number of people, fully vaccinated people right. I know who have, who have uh, the breakthrough cases, not terribly ill, but a lot of people are getting ill and a lot of unvaccinated people are getting ill. Mm-hmm. Then you have the eviction moratorium about to expire. Are we looking... Are things going to get significantly worse here soon because of this? Um, I think it very well could. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, like I said, we're trying to, as a homeless collaborative, we're trying to embrace, or not, I'm sorry, not embrace, but to brace ourselves for the onslaught that's coming with the, with the, um, with the ending of the eviction moratorium. And, you know, as, as somebody that's, um, somebody that's very libertarian in his, in his politics, and somebody that's very pro-business and small businessman. I'm, I'm, my heart goes out to landlords who've had to endure through this situation, yeah. but I'm just I'm afraid of what's gonna how it's gonna impact our community and our homeless service provider system. I think we're gonna be inundated, um, and uh, it's gonna be kind of scary. I think. You agree, Carlos? What's that? Tell me the question. You question. agree that we're, we could we be looks like we could be inundated with new homeless because of the evictions and the I mean, sure, with the and then you have the unemployment benefits are stopping too. Yeah. I mean, that's another yeah. one that's stopping. Um, so y- yes, I mean, I do think. I mean, in these breakthrough cases, I mean, just personally, at the organization I run, I mean, I out of out of uh, eight people have been vaccinated. Just uh, just that statistic. Um, all eight of them got the breakthrough case. Really? I mean, I have more that are vaccinated. Yeah. I mean, I have actually I have about sixty uh, percent of my staff is vaccinated. But let's just talk about just eight people that were vaccinated got the co- got COVID in the, in the last it's week. Happening. It's yeah, horrible. One, one yeah. of our um, offices that's separate from our main office, which we've been fortunate, we haven't had any cases, but the the COVID ran through that office, and almost everybody had some symptoms or tested positive. Uh, and um, I would say 80% of the folks there were vaccinated. Yeah. And they still all, they're yeah. still, it's just this Delta variant is very contagious. Yeah, sure it's is. very contagious. No, and it's, and it's uh, thank God that they're not hospitalized. But I mean, so it is causing, I mean, even, even Jim, as an, orga- as an organization, I've had to look at, because I think we started relaxing the mandates a little bit with, with face masks and social distancing and mm-hmm. others. You know, in June, I think it was. And then right now, we're, as public health tells, tells us, we're in a surge. We're currently on a surge at the moment. It's not like when, it's we're yeah. currently on one. That I've had to make some arrangements with our, you know, our beds, separating the beds, you know, consolidating some beds just because I don't want people close to each other. I mean, just because even in the shelter beds, in, in the shelter buildings, I've had like 11 cases already in the last week. Yeah. Everybody's doing well, they're vaccinated. You know that population. A lot of the, a lot of the shelter men that stay with us are vaccinated, which is a good thing. We've had about eight vac- vaccine clinics in the last three at months the, at the mission, okay. which has been great. Right. Um, but when you have these breakthrough cases, that makes it really hard, even for us, to encourage people yeah. to get vaccinated. Right. Right. Uh, so I think those set of challenges are difficult. You know, as as providers that are we're experiencing, that are working with the homeless. Um, I do think it's going to, I mean, it's, it could get tough. I mean, I think the next probably, you know, 30 days, 60 days are a big indicator, I think, of what could happen in the short term. Um, 
I'm always optimistic, though, that we're going to get through it, yeah. you know, and we've been through this COVID thing now for 19 months. You know, we've seen it. We've dealt with it. We know how to handle it to a point. Um, this variant's a little different, um, but I just think you just got to keep moving forward. I mean, yeah, that's your right. motto. You got to keep moving forward. Right. We have the, the Homeless Collaborative, and you guys are on the board, I yeah. believe, right? Anna Lavin uh, runs it. Is that... Is this the best way to, to handle this? A is this collaborative working in in your eyes? Is it? I mean, it's a quasi public private partnership. You have a lot of public money, a lot of private. I mean, you guys are, you know, part of it. Uh, is this the best best way to handle it? Well, so um, you know, we we pattern the the BKRHC after some other. Uh, agencies and some what what some other jurisdictions are doing like San Diego they have the regional task force on homelessness in Los Angeles and, too. and at Lhasa yeah so um, I think that you know I it, we just got it up and running when when COVID hit and so we really had to focus on COVID a lot Anna's done a great job of you know hit you know she was thrown into the fire so to speak because of COVID uh, but to me the most important thing is that we have the people who can make decisions at the table. So we have the city, you know, at the table. The city manager is on the, on the on the executive board. We have the CEO of the county is on the executive board. We have some of the, you know, the 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 very experienced service providers like Stephen Pels from the Housing Authority. So it's not a per, it's not perfect yet because, you know, we've been, we 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 hit the ground in the midst of the pandemic. But I think that we have the right people at the table, and I think that um, we've made some, a lot of progress. And one of the things that people don't realize is we're getting a lot of funding from the state and the federal government, and the city and the county and the and the continuum of care, the collaborative are all at the table to talk about what's the best way to um, target these funds to make sure they're having the most impact. And I think that having everybody at the table has been really helpful. Um, uh, to me, that's the most important part and I think it's been effective in that way. I know Carlos may have some different perspectives. Yeah, no, Anna's doing a good job. I mean, I mean, before, I mean, we're running, I mean, you have the collaborative group of volunteers. Now we have one person at the helm that's kind of helping coordinate, mm -hmm. right? Because there's, like Jim said, there's a lot of money coming, you know, into from the state, even federal, um, through HUD, that, you know, you, having that person kind of be the quarterback is a good thing. You know, a lot of times we were just handling stuff ourselves with committees and stuff, which which is it worked. But I do believe as the the problem has grown, as as Kern County has grown, the issue's gotten more, you know, front news. That mm -hmm. I, I think it warrants having uh, a collaborative, an executive board that the decision makers are on the table. You got service providers that um, that are experienced, that know what's happening. You have you know. Uh, uh, government, uh, like city manager involved in there and uh, CAO. So you and, have all these different entities yeah, and Anna Lavin can't tell the, the city or the county or no, what, or what but, to do. Right. But know? I think that's where we come yeah. in as an exec board and we give directions because that's our task okay. to do that. Right. And um, to keep it now, th it's a very complicated thing because everybody has different ways of doing it. But I have in that quarterback and dealing with things that are very specific to what's happening in our community is very helpful. I think it's very helpful. And like Jim said, it was very similar. Other other communities have this. Denver, I know, has it. Very similar model. Um, down in LA, Lhasa has it. Um, Jim mentioned San Diego. So it's, I believe we're, we're taking a step up and are, are trying to get out of the volunteer approach that we've done things yeah. to now you have a person that has a staff that can navigate these things in a professional way to meet expectation, right? And uh, so, I mean, I, and it is not perfect. Jim said that very clearly. It's not perfect. Yeah. But in a year and a half that we've been around, um, there's been a lot of good work that's gone into it. And, um, I mean, I look forward to what happens in the next, you know, six months, a year from now. Mm -hmm. I, I tell you this, be patient with this. Um, it, it is a work in progress. I do think there's a lot of good stuff happening. Um, what is not helpful is people shaming the homeless individuals um people are mentally ill yeah. that is not that's not cool it's not helpful. i mean even even from a from a 
the human standpoint. Yeah. I mean, I and I've said this to you, Richard. I have yet to meet somebody that has said, you know what, today I'm going to become homeless, or yeah. today I'm going to become a drug addict. Yeah. We Choice, just don't know right. somebody's story. Yeah, you don't. You know, hey, guys, this is for both of you, and and jump in here. Are are we any way we meaning Bakersfield, Kern County? Are we any way unique? Uh, are our problems with the homelessness here different than any orange? Jim, you worked in Orange County. You were just down there. You talk about or other parts of California. You talk about that California accounts for twenty five percent of all homeless. Uh, are, are we, and is that good news or bad news? Is it good that we're like everybody else or bad? I mean, are we, are, are we different at all? Well, so I think we're, obviously our community is very unique. Um, we're sort of a red community in the midst, uh, in, a, in a sea of blue all around us. But, uh, and we have, you know, a little more traditional values, I think, that are important to our community. But when it comes to um, you know when it comes to being unique the, the 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 solutions and the best practices for dealing with homelessness I don't think they're much different in other places okay. I mean I, what I'm saying is human nature is um, a universal issue people's problems whatever they may have no no one person who's experiencing homelessness is unique um, but not everybody's the same either, the reasons for becoming homeless. And so I do think there are some best practices. There are some, some, some solutions to the problem that are, being, that are being used in other places that are successful, and um, they would work here as well. And we just have to figure out how to make that happen. Okay. Carlos? You know, I don't think we're unique. I mean, if you go to California, I mean, Southern California, Northern California, you're still experiencing some things, different magnitude. I, one of the things I'm encouraged about, Jimmy, uh, Richard, is, uh, is our sense of collaboration. And I think even through, you know, this pandemic has brought us closer. I mean, we're ha- we were having these weekly Zooms, and now we're back on doing them on Mondays yes. with the different providers and how we can help each other, you know, regarding these case, you know, COVID cases and spikes and breakthrough cases. So... I consider that's a good thing that's come out of it, mm-hmm. right? And um, in, in that sense, without getting into the political, right, because it is conservative red, primarily in a sure. sea of blue, as Jim mentioned it. Um, nevertheless, the expectation should never be about those political parties, but about the people we serve, you know, and, and that's, where, that's where I get stuck on, you know, with, these, yeah. with what we do, regardless of political standing. I mean, and that's the thing that... You know, I think sets us apart. I think Bakersfield, Kern County is a very benevolent community, very caring mm-hmm. community, more than I've ever seen before. And I, I'm not from here originally. Um, so I've seen that, you know, those folks, you know, um, step up, yeah. you know, and uh, but also, too, that, you know, people are impatient with this homeless situation. Sure. I get that. I mm-hmm. mean, I see I, I live here. I see it all the time myself. I mean, I get, yeah. you know, I, I hear it and uh, I see it. Um, so, but I, I do think that there's some, I, I tell you, there's a lot of good stuff happening. That's a thing. But a lot of times it doesn't get reported and we got to celebrate those. You said it earlier. We need patience. I, I like that. Yeah. You need really? patience. And I know patience, you know, in our, in our society now, we want everything done yesterday. Sure. Um, and I want to listen, I, I want, cause I, I feel sometimes Richard defeated too. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we're doing all this. And I feel like I never do enough because I get a phone call, right? Why is this person doing this? And it's like, yeah. I don't even know that person. Yeah. But again, I, I want to I listen. And how can I be helpful? Right, right. Does it matter? There was a lot of talk before last night's city council meeting about our homeless ordinance, about keeping them off the streets and anti-camping <clears throat> ordinances and what L.A.'s doing. And then apparently our ordinance is tougher than L.A.'s. Is that, Jim, is that important? at all given if you if you moved them every time they set up a tent they're just going to set up the tent somewhere else and i think that's a lot of the frustration that carlos is talking about where whether it's the riverbed or whatever these these encampments that seem to grow and expand and intellectually i understand well you know 
I'd like them to move them, but where the hell are they going to go? They're going to end up somewhere else. What should what should the public's expectations be on, Do number one, do we need a really strongly worded homeless ordinance? And number two, would we use it? Would Could we legally use it? And is that the, is that the best method anyway? So I, I like to re... So uh, let's talk about the ordinance first. Uh, our ordinance is only as good as your willingness to enforce it, <laughs> right? That's and right. so um, I, I, I was not able to be at the, the city council meeting last night, but I did read the, the city attorney's report to the council. And I, I, we have, and we already have enough ordinances in place. We don't need to add anything new, I don't think, in order to allow uh, this, the city or the county to, well, I'm talking specifically about the city, the city to enforce the, the no, some of the ordinances. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier before the podcast started that, uh, you know, city attorneys and, and lawyers for the county, when I was in Orange County, the same way, um, they tend to be a little cautious and careful. Law enforcement tends to be a little cautious, you know, because there's sometimes there's a little, there's some ambiguity to what they can and cannot do, or whether it's even a priority to go and spend the time for, you know, on a public safety officer to go and spend time moving somebody along to another location when there are other, you know, more important public safety issues to mm -hmm. deal with. And so I think it just comes down to a willingness um, to enforce the ordinances um, to a point that the, um, the you know, the, the legal experts feel that they're not uh, opening themselves up to a lawsuit. In my time in Orange County, we went through this with a federal lawsuit because we tried to clear off the flood control channel, and mm -hmm. we ended up under a temporary restraining order, and the city, the county, ended up settling for a large, a large amount of money. And mm -hmm. so, I understand why the city's a little cautious. Um, I do think that the carrot and the stick approach is is usually um, helpful. We need to make sure that we have um, services for people and places for people to go. And that we need to make sure that they're not doing harm to businesses and property. I, I personally don't have a problem with saying, hey, you can't camp out at a library or in front of a school or a church or in, right in the open door of a business. Um, but if we, if we start the enforcement part of that, then we have to have a place for people to go. Otherwise, yeah. it's whack-a-mole, right? Because otherwise, you are just moving... Um, from one encampment, you know, moving an encampment from one location to another location to another location. And so that's why I'm in favor of expanding the beds at the shelters also, so that it also kicks in a, um, an enforcement mechanism so we can say, hey, there's a bed available if, if you don't want to go to the shelter. Are the city and county shelters full? They are. Uh -huh. They are, yeah. But they're not at full capacity because of COVID. But they have been but for, up for, for near the capacity, capacity. They set. They're yeah, they're full. they're they're always near capacity. We we have a few beds available um, every day, and those get okay. filled up really quickly. So let me correct myself. Going back to, uh, I would be <coughs> all out in non-support of adding more beds, but I also want to see data to support that. I mean, I, I think mm -hmm. that's necessary, Richard. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially when you're spending taxpayer dollars. But at the same time, if we're able to do this operation. Uh, home key let's let's put more effort into that too because we can get we can get things done quickly mm -hmm. but in order i mean for me to to be sold on not that it really matters um what i say on some of this stuff but if 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 you really look at we need to look at the data especially these new sh these facilities are brand new yeah i mean you really don't have uh, a, a strong one-year data to say this substantiates this expansion right and the resources that are going to cost. Right. That's that's. I think it's that better corrects what I said early on in the conversation. Okay. Uh, going back to your enforcement, um, you know, you, you can have all these ordinances out there. I know that the county, you had a, one board of supervisors talked about it a couple of weeks ago, on camera. You know, the city made their statement that they're not going to do that because um, I think there's ordinances in place already. There's already stuff in place, but yeah. are they enforcing it? Yeah, right. um, it's a very tough thing to, to even look at because if they don't enforce something, I think, what does the public think? And then you have, you know, you have all potentially exposing you for a lawsuit. 
I mean, it's a very tricky thing that, that you would have to embark yeah, on. Always. But again, I think people are not into, I mean, if you drive around, there's people camping on the sidewalks. Yeah. And then that could be your business right across the street. How does that look? Yeah. Right? I mean, Richard, you looked out your window here and somebody's camping out. Would you like that? No, probably not. Yeah, You're probably like, what not. are you doing camping right. out right there? Right. You know, and and so that's where I think it's a very tricky thing that, you know, you don't, you know, you don't want to expose yourself as a as a city mm-hmm. to to these kind of things, uh, especially if you have something in play. You just got to enforce it. But how do you enforce it? I mean, that's something that they have legally. What can they do? Right. Um, right. The public just wants it done. Right. I mean, they just want they want it out gone yesterday. Right. Well, part of this again, I've been managing my expectations. Yes, I'm your expectations, right, right? Right. What does the public's expectation look like with right. something like this? I right. mean, when that came out, I got a bunch of text messages because I mean, I think it was one of the stations published it, you know, mm-hmm. on their app, and I'm just bombarded like five minutes later, like I can't believe they didn't do this, and I was like, guys, there's already an ordinance. Yeah, it's not about this; it's an enforcement got thing. It. I got it. Yeah. It's a willingness thing, right? right. So. You know, one of the things that um, that you, you know, we have to consider. So, for example, you know, there was a lot of pressure. I know it came from you and from other places about cleaning off the Kern, Kern River, mm-hmm. right? And I understand why. But you know what? Those All those people went somewhere else. They're still somewhere in the yeah, city. They're right. in some other neighborhood. I get calls all the time from people in neighborhoods saying, hey, can you come... Can you, there's people camping out. Can you come move them along? And it's like, well, <laughs> whose neighbor, would you let me know which neighborhood you want You're us right. to move them to? Right. right? <clears throat> and so. Are you a moving service? <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's not what we do, right? We're there to help people get them off the street. But, but that's what, that's what, that's what happens. And that's the consequence of, um, you know, if we're going to have an enforcement mechanism and we're going to implement that and, and utilize it, then we have to have some resources for people. And that, again, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but I think short-term, um, short-term solution is to increase the, the, the shelter beds. Long-term, um, short-term and long-term is to, as Carlos mentioned, project home keys, and then we need permanent housing. Um, but one other consideration is uh, sanctioned encampments. Which some communities say that again. Sanctioned encampments. Sanctioned encampments. So that means you have a location. So like in Oakland and other places, um, they enforce the no camping ordinance in front of churches, businesses, you know, libraries, schools, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And then they tell people, if you don't want to go to the shelter, this is where you can go. So it's a location where people can go. Uh, I am okay. not a fan of sanctioned encampments because it becomes a mess, I think. But a lot of communities have sanctioned encampments. Okay. And so that would be, you know, if the county identified a piece of property where they said if people can go and camp here, you know, and then we and I then see. we provide services, we go yeah. into the encampments, yeah, we yeah. work on getting people right. out. Um, that's an option that I think the, the, the county and the city should probably consider. Uh, again, I'm not promote um, I'm not promoting that. But I think if we want to put all of our cards on the table, that's something that we should consider as well. Yeah, but there, I mean, I, and I see—I mean, I've heard of that stuff, Jim, yeah. too. Um, but again, that would have to be ma- somebody has to manage it, right? I mean, because yeah. imagine the stuff if you don't manage something like that, what it would look like. That could I be mean, what could happen in right. there? I mean, whether abuse or who knows what yeah. drug dealing, right? Legal activity, yeah. Potential violent Liability. activity, yeah. huge that. Yeah. It would have to be. There would be law enforcement mechanisms are that are that are enforced there. Um, you know, help. I think if you bring them to help, mental health services, other providers like flood and you know other homeless providers, I think that could work. Mm-hmm. But again, it's I, is a is a community, a city or county willing to take on that liability? Yeah, and it'd have to be some resources, right? Because whoever's in charge of managing that encampment, um, you know, one of the things that could happen is that we say, okay, we're going to set aside 50 housing vouchers or we're going to set aside 50 beds at one of the shelters and there's 50 people here. No, you know, Once it's established, no one else can come. We're not adding any new people to the encampment and we're going to work one by one, picking off these people, getting them off the street and getting them into, the, into resources. Um, I, I know they do that in other locations and they've done it successfully. Mm-hmm. The goal is not to increase, the, you know, build this big old homeless city, right. but to have... Okay, you can go here once you have a, uh, 
an acceptable amount of people there, then that's a project. You're working on each of those individuals to get them off the street. Again, controversial. I'm not saying yeah, that's a right, good idea, right. but that's something I think that should be considered. Right. I mean, you would have NIMBYism with something like that, too, because who'd want NIMBYism? Where are you going to put it? Yeah, where are you going to put it? Yeah, you know, right. I'm not opposed to it. I mean, I, I, think, yeah. I think right now, if it, things get worse, everything's on the, on the table. Yeah. You know, and, and you kind of begin to, you know, is this going to work? Right. You know, um, and, but all of this, you got to remember, uh, Richard, all this stuff costs money. Yeah. And this money is called taxpayer dollars. Yeah. All that stuff has to be under consideration. Right. Be strategic about doing that. Absolutely. Um, Right. I, you know, the thing is, um, like I mentioned earlier, one of the great things about the BKRHC is it's brought the city, the county, and the collaborative together to make sure that the resources are being directed in the right, right places and for the right services. Um, so there's just a ton of money coming down from the federal government and the state. You know, the state's just then the state budget, I think, is $12 billion on homelessness, right? Mm -hmm. And we're going to get, I think, between the, the COC and the county and the city, we're getting almost over $11 million, if I remember right. Mm -hmm. Plus, there's there's home funds that are coming from federal government. There's um, ESG CARES funds. I mean, there's millions and millions of dollars mm -hmm. that are coming down the pike. And, you know, it sounds funny to say, but it's not easy to spend that funding um, that quickly because some of those mm -hmm. funding sources have time limitations on them okay. and you have to spend them in a certain amount of time. And so it's like we're scrambling to make sure that they get directed in, in, the, in the right places. Um, and, you know, it's like a use it or lose it thing. Yeah, and, yeah. and I don't right. think we should waste any taxpayer dollar. But if we have the opportunity to, to access that funding, then it takes pressure off the general budget for the city and the county, right. and these are just extra dollars that the city and county aren't having to kick in, and so um, we want to take advantage of that as much as possible. Right, right. Yeah. Guys, I want to thank you, uh, Jim Wheeler and Carlos Baldovino. It's been a good discussion. Let's wrap it up here. Help me here. The, a couple things I, I have learned today. Carlos, you said patience. You would advise patience for we talk about the public expectations. Jim, you brought up... Uh, the pandemic and its in, uh, in impact. Carlos, you mentioned the evictions are, uh, that are coming up. So it looks like we're looking at the situation getting worse before it gets better. What else can, would you, if, if you were talking to your neighbor and they were saying, what can we expect? What can we expect over the next six months? Well, I think the biggest thing is people need to put their action where their advocacy is. So if people are complaining about the visibility of homelessness in the community, if people are complaining about, hey, we're not making a difference, well, one of the reasons we sometimes, we had two project home key, or I'm sorry, two project room keys that were turned down, one by the county and one by the city mm -hmm. um, because of NIMBYism. Yeah. And so the thing I would say to my neighbor is, look, we need your help. We need your support. Mm. Um, if you want us to, if you want us to to try to solve this problem, then you have to be a part of the solution, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have to support us. If something comes up that's in your neighborhood, um, and you look at the plan and you see the plan is going to have a minimal impact on the neighborhood, then please be supportive of it. You know, it can't be the solution can't be somebody else's problem. Yeah, right. And to me, that's the biggest thing, the biggest frustration that that I see is that people want us to do something, but they don't want us to do something in their backyard, sure. right? Absolutely. So. Carlos, you want to add that? Yeah. I mean, the, the patience factor of it, I mean, I mean, I've experienced it with projects that I've done, you know, and, and you can try to convince somebody that it's the right thing. I mean, we tried to do something off of Baker, and the neighborhood was not having it. And uh, we went through it. It was one of my very first times uh, dealing with the public on Nat, from NatScope. Mm -hmm. Um they were not for it. I mean, they were, I mean, they showed up to our conditional use permit meeting and man, they really showed that they were not for it. And, but see, that's what, that's what happens. People get so stuck on what they believe is right and that they're not looking at what the possibility to make it better for them, that their expectations or their perceptions are such. 
I tell people, become engaged with the issue. Understand what's happening with homelessness. You know, it's not just a guy just um, begging on the side of the cor- on the side of the street. There's more to it. There's families involved here. There's, you know, that person that's dealing with mental illness. There's that person that has a substance abuse problem. You don't know why. You don't know somebody's story. Get involved. Do something. Understand the issue. Yeah. And it's not because I've been in many meetings, whether city council meetings, chamber of commerce, you know, churches business the business community they're all almost saying the same thing and i always go back to them become engaged understand the issue and that way you can get you have a better understanding like you have done richard the last couple years um trying to understand it you know um but remember that this situation didn't happen overnight i mean this has been in the in a build-up for three or four years and now you're seeing the effects of it so what happens is with something we want it to be done right away you got at a at these new navigation centers new expansions and others that you feel like okay now i gotta see something different well guess what the problem didn't happen overnight the solution going away and it's not going to go away overnight as much as we want it to so that's where patience comes in understand the issues get involved uh with 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 what's going on Right. That's True. good advice. Yeah. yeah, I agree. All right. Carlos Baldovinos and Jim Wheeler of Flood Ministries and uh, of the Mission of Kern County. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank I you sure appreciate it. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for listening to Bakersfield Observe, the podcast with Richard Bean. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Centric Healthcare and Premier Lighting.